Welcome to this new episode of Travels Tete a Tete. I am Thomas, your host. As some of you might know, I recently moved to the beautiful city of Valencia, Spain, which provides me with an endless list of travelers to interview. Halid has been declared was the most livable city in the world for foreign residents. And today, I speak with Andrew, a Canadian guy who is making the most of Europe thanks to his work in Germany, and together we speak about his experiences and about his passion for running and board games. For the record, this episode was recorded from a coffee in the city center, which is why you might pick up some background noise. Enjoy! Today, I'm speaking with Andrew, and if you pick up some noise outside, it's because we are in a cafe in Valencia, and we are trying to record live. Andrew, uh, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. So, Andrew, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, I am from Canada, from the province of Alberta, and north of the city of Calgary. I have been living in Europe for more than four years now. I've been mostly living in Austria, Italy, Germany, and Spain. I like to travel because I like discovering new countries and new cultures, meeting new people, trying new food, just doing things that I wouldn't do at home in Canada. So I was planning to come to Europe for one year. Now I've been here for more than four. I don't have a return date in sight, so I'm really enjoying it and will continue it for a while. So now we are, you're in Valencia, right? And this is for you, this is vacation. What brought you exactly to Valencia? You heard about it? There is something in specific you wanted to discover? <laughs> so actually, specifically why I came to Valencia, well, I, I had heard about Valencia and and I was happy to be here, but to be honest, the exact reason was because I found a good flight out of Valencia. I was living in Catalonia for the last three to four months. I was working as an English language assistant in a school, and Catalonia, by the way, that is where Barcelona is located. So I was living north of Barcelona, in a small town. I was staying there with a family. I was working at the elementary school in that town. And I just finished that, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago. And now my next destination for work is Germany. Anyway, the reason I'm in Valencia is because I wanted to explore a little bit more of Spain just before leaving. So I traveled to Madrid because I have a friend in Madrid. I had not been to Madrid. That's another wonderful city. But the flights from Madrid to Germany were very expensive and the flights from Valencia to Germany were significantly cheaper. So I figured I can save money, travel to Valencia and take a flight from here. And now that I'm here, I'm just enjoying the city, the great weather and the beach and enjoying meeting people. I think you are hosted by a couchsurfer, right? Did you discover couchsurfing when you arrived in Europe or did you know it in Canada? Was it something which triggered your uh, appetite for travel? I think in Canada I had vaguely heard about couchsurfing, but I had never tried it. That's something I really regret because I think it's a wonderful platform, both for, both for the guest or, and also for the host. And I know when I was in Canada, I come from a small town, so we don't get too many couch surfers now. 
because I mean sometimes I have my profile set on my town in Canada and I very rarely get requests but when I was 23 or so I moved to Ottawa and I was trying to get my friends to come to visit of course my friends were busy and I was trying to make new friends and I just wanted anybody to come visit and couch surfing would have been perfect for me then I had a extra bed but I, I didn't really think of it and didn't really know about it. So when I came to Europe, somebody mentioned it again, and then that kind of re-peaked my interest. Then that's when I started to use it, was here in Europe. So I started, I think like most do, I started as a guest in my first destination was the Czech Republic in Prague. It was a good experience. I continued to do it. And I had many more good experiences. And, of course, then I was interested in hosting as well. I don't have a permanent address in Europe, so now I host when I can. And when I'm not able to, my profile is set to my parents' home in Canada. So I contacted you through Couchsurfing because I, I found your public travel and that you were coming to, to Valencia. And I noticed you had a lot of positive reviews. So I wanted to ask you from your point of view what makes a perfect host and what makes a perfect guest. Because yeah, you have all positive reviews and you, have, you seem to have a good feeling with most of the people and you get along with everybody. So what's your secret? So first answer about a perfect host. I mean, the perfect host is basically almost every host. You should not be afraid of trying couch surfing like as a host. You should not worry, oh, my place is too small. I don't have lots of time to spend with my guests. You should still try it. And you should just, I mean, you should be clear about your availability and your expectations. But I mean, I've stayed with hosts who have very little time and I just meet them for one night. I stay with them one night at 10 p.m. I leave at 7 a.m. when they have to go to work and that's a perfect stay. And then on the other side, of course, I've stayed with hosts for, well, three nights or on rare occasions Five nights is about the max, at least the max initially. Sometimes I've gone back to visit some of my hosts. But anyway, sometimes I stay three or at most five nights and spend much more time with the host, and that's, that's great as well. So, so I think the perfect host is anybody who is kind enough to open their home to travelers. You don't have to have lots of time. You don't have to have the most big and beautiful place. If you want to offer some food, you can offer some food. If you don't want to offer food, that's also perfectly okay. And for the perfect guest, I think the perfect guest is just one who keeps in mind that they're not staying in an Airbnb or a hotel, but they're staying with somebody in their home. So it's a very different experience. You should try to adapt a bit to what your hosts is comfortable with, what their schedule is like. And for example, I've had hosts who leave me a key so I can come and go when I want. I have hosts who need me to leave when they leave. I've stayed with hosts who live by themselves. I've stayed with hosts who live with roommates. And I've stayed with families as well. And 
anyway, as I mentioned, all were good experiences. So as a guest, that's something to keep in mind. I mean, you usually I have not had a key. So whereas, of course, an Airbnb, you're free to come and go where you wish. In couch surfing, you're staying at somebody's house. So if you think, how would, how would I react if somebody came to my house? What would you want them to be like? And it's, of course, it's also important to remember that maybe you're the most trusting and comfortable person in the world. But if your host is less trusting and less comfortable with having you there when they are not, that's okay too. And then that's a good chance to respect them and, and make a positive experience for the host. Anytime I travel and anytime I stay with somebody on Couchsurfing or one of the other websites, I try to make sure that it's a positive experience. Uh, of course for me, but of course a positive experience for my host as well. Yeah, so nowadays you don't have a home, right? However, your, your headquarter is mostly in Germany, Austria, because this is where you have English camps. So this is, this is your work there. You work with children and you organize games, lang you teach language. Yes, I have worked for the two summers at English camps for children in Germany and I'm going back this year for my third summer. The, the camps are located in smaller towns and sort of semi-rural semi areas so they're not in the big cities and we stay in these they're called Jungenberg uh, which is sort of a family hostel So if you think of a, uh, I mean, if you go to Berlin and you stay in a hostel, you'll be staying, I think, with lots of young travelers. But if you stay in one of these Jungenherbergers, then it's a hostel where a family might stay. So at some of the camps, we're there by ourselves with the groups. At other camps, we're in a location, but the hostel is still open for business. So there'll be families that come and go as well. And anyway, so the, the camps consist of English teaching in the morning, which is really focused on just building some confidence and getting the children to speak. Then in the afternoon, we do outdoor activities, which can include swimming, cycling, treetop climbing, canoeing, sometimes hiking, It depends a bit on the location. And then in the evening, in the evening we do board games. We have a movie night, we have a trivia night, and it's, it's, it's a fun job. It's very busy, but uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I get to work with people from, from different countries, and, and I get to work with children, and I get to go to beautiful places in Germany that I wouldn't think of going to as a regular tourist. You also work as an au pair as well. Uh, so if I understand well, this was your way out of Canada or way in into Europe? Uh, I came to Europe at first as an au pair. I heard about being an au pair from a colleague of mine in Canada. She told me she lived in Spain for a year, living with a family as an au pair. 
as an au pair. I, I didn't even know something like that existed. It wasn't until a year later when I had the kind of opportunity, I guess, because I had left my job. I was thinking, okay, should I get a real job or should I go live abroad? And living abroad sounded like the better idea. So I was really drawn to Europe because I was really interested in the different countries, the different cultures. I thought, what is the best way to come to Europe? Because I could get a working holiday visa, but then the problem would be I would still need to find a place to live, I would need to find a job, and I wouldn't know anyone. But being an au pair covered all three of those. So, I mean, it gave me a place to live because, of course, I would live with a family. I... Um, it gave me some income. I mean, au pair is definitely not a position that will make anyone rich, but it's a very good cultural experience, which is what I was really looking for, because I think one of the best ways to experience a country and its culture is by staying with a family, living with them, and, and really learning the local customs and traditions. As you mentioned, 90%, uh, I, I estimate about 90% of au pairs are female. And that was, that was my first question when I was looking into being an au pair. I, I remember I actually asked my friend, so do males ever become au pairs? And she told me, well, it's not too common but there are some so yeah you can take a look I know for me I, I used an au pair website I signed up for that and it was free to make a profile and you it's kind of like in theory it's a bit like a dating profile meaning that you put on your preferences so what country you want to go to how many kids you want to work with what ages of kids you want to work with do you have a driving license do you smoke and then of course the families will also set up their profile and they'll answer the same things where they want their au pair to come from are they looking for a male or a female au pair what kind of jobs do they need the au pair to do so when i say it's like a dating website i mean you make your profile, they make theirs, and then you see if you match. And then if you match up well, then you message each other. And of course, after that, you would have a video call and, well, probably call a few families and then see which one works the best. And anyway, so as a male, it was not hard to find a family. What I found is many families want a female because they have young children, they have girls, and that makes sense. For me, myself, I also feel more confident with older children, so I, I can understand why. But then some, some families, of course, are okay with both, a male or a female. And then you also find families who prefer a male au pair because they have three boys, two boys, three boys, or whatever. So then they think, you know, maybe it would be good to have a male au pair. And for those families who want a male au pair, it's very difficult for them to find one. So as a male au pair, like, I could always find families who were looking for a male. So it's a bit of a niche market, but if you are open to different places and different countries, then, well, then it was very easy to find families. And actually, then the only difficult choice was deciding where to go to and which family to stay with. 
Czech Republic was the first country? Czech Republic was my first country that I couch surfed in, but I, I went to Austria as an au pair. So yeah, so I went to Austria, close to Vienna. Vienna was not my favorite city, but uh, the location was kind of nice because Vienna is close to Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, and also not so far from like Slovenia or Croatia, Italy. So it's surrounded by many countries. So as I was visiting Czech Republic, that was the first time I looked into couch surfing. And then I kind of fell in love with couch surfing ever since. But yeah, as an au pair, I stayed in Austria, Italy, and in Spain. And I've also done sort of brief, unofficial au pairings. In, I was in Norway, and... Uh, funny you mentioned Czech Republic, because it's also the first country I went out of France to. Not through couchsurfing, but through a European voluntary service. I don't know if you heard about it. It's, um, it's like Erasmus, but for associations. And basically, you, um, you go, you are hired by... You do, do, you do the same thing as an au pair. You, are, you put up your profile, and an association looks, looks up your profile, and if you match the requirements, they hire you. And for one year, you are paid and lodged by the association in a country. In my case, it was in Czech Republic, and um, yeah, yeah, Czech Republic still still has a nice place in my heart because it was such a lovely, such a lovely country. You, how did you like uh, Czech Republic? Yes, uh, I mean I had a very good time in the Czech Republic, although I did not explore as much of it as I would like to. So I mean, most of my experience there was in Prague, which is a beautiful city. I spent one night in Brno as well, the second largest city in the Czech Republic. My experience was very good. Uh, I mean, I, I can't comment too much on the nature. I have been to more rural and more nature parts in Slovakia, which, well, of course, they used to be one country. Now they've divided, but they still have many similarities and they still, uh, I mean, the 99 percent of people in Czech and Slovakia get along with each other extremely well and they maintain very close ties so anyway uh, I can comment on Slovakia and the nature and the nature in Slovakia is really really amazing one of my actually one of my first experiences in Europe when I came to Vienna as an au pair I went to Slovakia after like in Two weeks after I arrived, I went to Slovakia. I went to some small town or small city, sort of in the north center of Slovakia, and I did this long distance race through the country, and it was that was a really great experience. Uh, to backtrack a little bit, so when you're in Canada, um, all these travels, were they inspired by your family? Your mother and your father were big travelers themselves? Or are you the black sheep of the family and you're the only one who is testing the limits of your, <laughs> of, uh, your geography and going everywhere? Well, I'd say somewhere in between. So my parents did travel. And yeah, my mom went to Australia when she was younger. And, and they had been to Europe like a decent few times. But neither of my parents ever lived abroad. So I'm the, I'm the only one, I mean, I, I'm 
the only one in my immediate family who lived abroad, but my, my uncle lived abroad for a while. He taught English in Colombia and in China and in Dubai and probably one or two other countries. Uh, but yeah, I did travel with my parents when I was young, but mostly around Canada and a bit of the U.S. And, and well, when I was younger, we went to Mexico. But then when I was older, in my early 20s, then I would do lots of traveling with my mother and father, mostly in Canada and the U.S., but of course, Canada and the U.S. Were, are very big countries, so it takes quite a while and many different trips to see them. So one of my favorites was driving up to Alaska with my mom. We have a van, which is not a camper van, but just like a regular sort of family van, but we took the back seats out, threw in a mattress, and drove up and slept in the van pretty much every night. So we could just get breakfast at a grocery store, go to the bathroom outside, because there's no, it's not a van with a, kit, with a kitchen or with a toilet, but for sleeping it's perfect because yeah, you can sleep, rain or shine, you don't have to plan much. And that was, that was a lot of the travel I was doing in North America. I guess that's partially why, maybe partially why I didn't need couch surfing, although I still wish I had used couch surfing. Because, I mean, we always had a place to sleep in the van. We did this going to Alaska. We did this a bit around Canada. We did it going to, to, the, to the lower 48 states. Anyway, and yeah, I had very good experiences there. You're, you're a marathon runner, right? And you like board games. So can we start maybe with a marathon? Because this is, a, this is starting to become a, a, a theme in, in this podcast. Because a few episodes back we had Jean-Marc. He just completed his sixth uh, biggest uh, marathon uh, in Tokyo. Yeah, is it, is it something you started in Canada or you're starting in Europe or is it something which you use or you, you, you mold your travels around like you want to do the Paris Marathon, you arrange your couch surfing over there or how do you do that? So marathon running is something I started in Canada and it's actually, actually to be honest I've done it a bit less in Europe, well quite a bit less but but I still do it a bit. I, well, I'd like to say I do it a bit. Um, so yeah, when I was in Canada, when I was, I think, 19 years old, I met a guy who was about probably late 50s, and he was doing this Ironman triathlon, which of course is 3.8 kilometers of swimming, 180 kilometers of biking, and then a 42.2 kilometer marathon at the end. And I thought that was a little bit crazy, but also very amazing. And I remember I kind of asked, or I kind of thought to myself, you know, this guy is kind of incredible. I wish I was more like that. And then I thought, why am I wishing I was more like that? If I, if I want to be more like that, I mean, you know, what's stopping me? The only thing that's stopping me is myself. So... So I signed up for some biking events that year, and then I signed up for a half marathon. And I know the first time I finished that half marathon, this was in 2013, so this is now 10 years ago. I finished the half marathon, and I thought, well, that was long. I don't 
know how people do more than that. But after a day or two, I thought, okay, yeah, I want to do another half marathon and beat my time. And that's kind of what happened. I did uh, another half, ran it a little bit faster, signed up for one or two others, signed up for these uh, mud races. Like, well, right now I'm wearing a Spartan race shirt. I also did these other events called Tough Mudder and Mud Hero. And then I also got into trail running, uh, which is, well, which I mean can be short or long, but I enjoyed some of the longer distance events. Uh, And well, it was in 2013, I ran the first really long distance race, which was 50 kilometers. Yeah, 50 kilometers in the mountains in Canada in October and then the next year i signed up so in 2014 i signed up for some marathons ran about five of them that year five of them the next year and i ran more trail races as well i did i did an 80 kilometer race in 2014 and i think that was yeah that that was hard 80 kilometers how much time does it take uh 80 that one took me 13 and a half hours which was quite a bit more. It was, it, when I did the 50-kilometer race, it took me about five and a half hours. Or five, and I didn't know it at the time, but that was a relatively easy course. So, I mean, it was in the mountains, but it was a little bit up, a little bit down, and it was kind of on rolling trails. So I signed up for this 80-kilometer race thinking, okay, if it took me five and a half to do 50 kilometers, okay, of course, as you increase the distance, your time gets slower uh not just longer but you move slower as well but still i thought okay five and a half i should be be able to do it in 10 to 12 hours to do 80k like i was thinking 12 hours absolute max and it took me 13 and a half and i was so wiped by the end of that and i thought my god and I, it was a tough race though it was a lot of climbing and descending and rough trails so I know after that race, it took me a good, a good six months or more, probably eight months before I wanted to try anything that long again. But yeah, I did more 50-kilometer races in the meantime, more, uh, more marathons, and then eventually I signed up for a 100-kilometer race. I did that one with a friend, which was a much better idea than doing it alone because that was, I, I never had one moment of doubt in my mind when I did that 100-kilometer race that I would, or if I would finish. I always knew I would. I enjoyed the entire thing. Running with a friend made a huge difference. And anyway, circling around to Europe, I, I haven't done as many in Europe. That's largely because it takes more planning now that I'm living here on my own because in Canada uh, just as my mom and I and my father and I would travel in our van that was often how I would almost 90-95% of the time that was how I got to races was traveling in the van sleeping at the start line the night before and just running the next day And usually my mother or father or sometimes even a friend actually would accompany me. But coming to Europe, I had to plan a bit more, getting to the city, staying somewhere. Uh, But part of it, I guess, was I didn't know where I would be sometimes, so I didn't want to sign up for a race six months in advance. 
so anyway, so I've continued it a bit. I did the Athens Marathon, the Dublin Marathon, and the Barcelona Marathon. And I also did uh, the, the event I mentioned earlier in Slovakia. That was 105 kilometers. That was very difficult, but also amazing. And that was back in 2018. And I haven't done 100 kilometers since. I've done 50. I did a 50-kilometer one in Spain. And two in Austria, one that was 85, one that was 60. And I hope I'll do more this year in the fall. Are you keeping an eye on a special marathon in Europe or in the world? Some of it you want to do, absolutely. I'd love to do the Berlin Marathon. I know that's also a very big and popular one. But that one... Uh, well, like many big and popular marathons, sells out quite quickly. So that's one to keep an eye on. And I know there's lots of very beautiful races in Austria and Switzerland, very beautiful trail races. And I would like to do some there. Yeah, and Eastern Europe is also a real gem, I find, like... The one in Slovakia was amazing and, I mean, a lot less expensive than a race in Switzerland would be. It was a very good price, very good course, very nice people and very good food. I find it interesting that you say that one of these races, races you, you, you prefer to run with someone next to you. But in the meantime, when you travel, you are mostly solo, solo traveler. So when you, when you travel slow, you prefer to go uh, solo. And when you are running, you prefer to go with a partner, someone? Yes, yes. If I can somehow convince one of my friends to sign up for one of these long-distance runs, then that's always nice. Luckily, in Canada, I had friends who were crazy enough to do it. Well, for travel, I do a lot of solo travel now. But my focus on traveling, like especially now, is meeting people. So, I mean, I do travel solo, but I feel like I'm usually not alone because with couch surfing I'm always meeting people there bonding with them uh, and then yeah joining some couch surfing events or meetups sometimes meet people just on the street which is nice too yeah which brings me to the second topic board games uh, because yeah you seem to have played a lot of board games with your uh, hosts on couch surfing or guests and I know from a good source that you, <laughs> that you are going to, yeah, you're going to pub quiz tonight as well. So I wanted to, to know where this passion for board games came from, because it's something which, at the a in the age of the mobile phone and the apps and everything, board games is, yeah, it's, I remember it, uh, we're a lot playing board games during my childhood, but nowadays it's a very niche market and of course you can find some bars where you can play board games and you have some very dedicated community to that but it's not as popular and as uh, yeah as before right every family had board games at, at their house now i don't even know if if it's still the case yeah i think that it's i think what you said is kind of true it's become a bit more of a niche market like i feel like most people grew up with the classic games like monopoly and uh, most people have played risk and of course very well very easy ones for kids snakes and ladders things like that but my my uh, I would say my passion came when I was in college because I didn't. I, I w when I was a child, I didn't like board. Well, 
Well, I mean, when I was, uh, actually, let's say when I was a teenager or so, I didn't like board games. Because I played Monopoly, but I think Monopoly is not that fun. It goes for an incredibly long time and gets quite repetitive and not that exciting. Now I play a lot of games like Carcassonne, Catan, Ticket to Ride, and these are games that, well, most of these I discovered in college, some I've discovered in Europe, and I like them because it's something to do with people that that does not involve like a mobile phone or a TV or, yeah, well, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't require drinking anyway. <laughs> You can have a drink or you can not have a drink. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when you meet people, they say, oh, let's go for a drink or let's... Um, and I think it's kind of nice to actually do something with them. So with, when you're playing a board game, you're not just talking, you're actually doing something. And, and it's a good way to bond with others, I find. So how much do you prepare before a trip? I mean, you came to Valencia, you already know, knew everything you wanted to visit, or you just go with the flow and uh, you improvise when you arrive? Most of the time, I'm a very go-with-the-flow traveler. So I came to Valencia, and what did I prepare? Well, I found a couch surfing host, and then, yeah, he asked me, oh, what are your plans for Valencia? And actually, I said, I don't have any plans, because now when I travel, like, I mean, especially when I couch surf, I mean, usually, usually I go to places and one of my favorite things is meeting the people. So, so yeah, so if I'm couch surfing, I kind of go. And if my host wants to do things together, then my schedule is open to, to do that. And when my host is busy, then I, then I look for things and make plans. But I like having a fairly open schedule because then if something pops up that seems interesting, I can do it. And when I, when I do have plans, like a marathon or something, and I still try to couch surf, uh, I mean, if I, if I do try to couch surf, of course, then I just mention that in my, in my request. So I make it clear. If I have a specific plan, I make that clear so that my host can be informed of it. But otherwise, I am quite spontaneous and quite ready to go with the flow. Speaking of flow, on your CS profile you mentioned that you were doing rafting in Bosnia in the middle of December. Can you tell us a bit about this? Because that sounds not... That doesn't sound like something you can improvise. <laughs> well, that was, that, was, that was one of my best experiences. Uh, so that was that was also, th I guess, through couch surfing. I stayed with a very very nice and very interesting young man in Bosnia back in 2019. Actually, it was it was New Year's of 2019-2020. I stayed with him uh, with my parents who were also visiting at the time. My parents and my my girlfriend at the time. We had a car and we were looking where to travel for New Year's and I thought the New Year's would be much more special if we can spend it with someone and really do something, something culturally unique. So we stayed with this guy in Bosnia 
who lived outside of Banja Luka. Banja Luka is the second largest city, but he lived a bit outside of the city, like a 15-minute drive. So we went up this hill and onto some back road and then onto some gravel road and then onto his driveway where he lived kind of on top of a hill. And his uncle lived next to him and maybe a cousin also lived close by. And they had about one pig and one cow and a lot of potatoes. But he made us fresh cheese with the milk, like milk from the cow and then he would make fresh cheese from the milk and lots of homemade food so that was that was really cool and he gave us great recommendations for things to do in the area and anyway we got along so well because we well we played we did things with him and he was a great host for myself because he was young and energetic and he was a great host for my parents because he was uh, happy to talk and we and my my father my father and I played chess with him so that was a that was a really special experience and then two years later I went back to Bosnia and messaged him that I was coming back he said oh do you want to stay with me again I said well okay if if that's fine with you and he welcomed me back and then I stayed for 10 days and he's on the Bosnian national rafting team and one of the team events that he does, I mean, an unofficial event, is they do a New Year's rafting, uh, a New Year's rafting day. So just at the very end of December, him and the team will go out and and raft in the river. And this was this was really cool because this is not something that the public could sign up for. This was something that I just got invited to by him because he said, yeah, I'm going rafting with my team. Do you want to come? And I said, uh, yes. And it was, it was cold. I mean, it was very cold. The water was cold. But, of course, we had wetsuits, and my hands were totally numb at the beginning. But by the end, they kind of warmed up. And that, that was a cool experience, being in a raft on the river with a bunch of Bosnian guys. And we had a bit of a party after, and that was just one of the experiences that I never would have had without couch surfing. Okay, I'm going to ask maybe controversial question. Is there a reason or a time at which you think you'll stop traveling? Well, yeah, that is tough to answer, because right now, I, I guess what I've been saying for the last years is that I'm enjoying traveling and like living in different countries, so I'll keep doing that. If I if I find the ideal job, then and uh, and a place that I really want to live, then of course uh, I can adapt and I can stay there longer. And I mean, I've been doing a bit of that already. I but I mean, it's still short term. I go to a place and I end up staying there six months. And sometimes, if I like a place, I go back such as my job in Germany. Uh, I'm returning for the third year. But anyway, is there a time where I'll stop traveling entirely? I think, well, I think no. Uh, I think that, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll settle down a bit more in a place, but I'd like to ha at least then have a job that allows me to travel 
or, or where I need to travel for my job. Last question maybe before we finish. How do you find Valencia? What is your impression? Uh, yeah, I know you just arrived, so I wanted to know what you, what you think of the city. Well, I haven't seen everything, but what I have seen is that Valencia has great weather, nice beaches, of course, very good food, and and it's uh, it's a it's a good sized city. It's easy to walk around, easy to navigate. It also has a metro, and yeah, public transport is very affordable. Prices are are quite good. Like it's cheaper than Barcelona. And, and I mean Spain in general is cheaper than a lot of Western Europe so it's an excellent place to visit I would recommend I would recommend it to anyone Is there any person you would recommend for this podcast someone uh, who has a fresh vision about traveling who could be interested in participating into this podcast Well one interesting guy is uh, last year when I was in I was in Bulgaria for a couple months last year and I met a Canadian Bulgarian uh, who was I mean eight years younger than me but we ended up hitting it off really well and we did some travel together and <laughs> actually together with my mom as well because she came from Canada to visit me that was quite a that was quite an interesting travel story traveling with my friend I was 28, he was 20, my mom was turning 69, and yeah, we went to Sicily together. But anyway, he, he's, he's, uh, he has also very good stories, and he, he could tell you a bit about how he grew up partially in Bulgaria, partially in Canada, how his parents moved back to Bulgaria, and how he stayed in Canada. Um, otherwise, I would, I would recommend... I don't know if I have anyone specific. I well, I could recommend some contacts, but I think that some of the cyclist travelers are very interesting. I've met some cyclists who have traveled the world for well, sometimes have done three-month trips. Sometimes they've done six-month trips. Sometimes one or two years. Or I met a guy who cycled around the world for nine years. And I found them through another platform called Warm Showers, which is essentially couch surfing for people on bicycles. So if I wanted to travel from Valencia to Copenhagen, then, I mean, this would be probably a, I don't know, two-month journey. And I would need places to stay along the way. So, I mean, I could carry a tent and try to do some camping. I could stay in hostels. I could try to couch surf. But warm showers is meant specifically for people traveling by bicycle. And the, the website works quite good, the website and the app, because there's a map, which is something that couch surfing doesn't have. So if, if I'm going between Valencia and I want to go 80 kilometers north, on my first day, 50 or 80 kilometers or however much I want to do, I can see hosts in that area and I can write to them. I've had some good experiences with that and I've met some of my hosts have done very incredible trips. They've cycled through Africa, they've cycled through Asia. I've met a guy who cycled from, uh, from Alaska down to southern Argentina and Chile, down to Patagonia. And people have cycled through Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. So, yeah, their stories are 
much more interest in the mine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I think you have a, I think you have a lot of uh, great stories as well, and uh, and yeah, maybe one time we'll meet again, and you can tell us uh, in five years, you can tell us about uh, more stories, uh, yes. some stories. Um, anything you want to add before we finish? I don't think so. I mean, if anybody has any questions about traveling, you can contact me. I encourage everyone to, when you travel, really try to meet people. Meet people, meet the locals, and also host some people who are traveling to your place. It's a wonderful experience. Thank you very much, Andrew, and so see you probably maybe tomorrow at the Board Games Meetup. Excellent. Looking forward to it. For the record, we didn't go to the board games night. Instead, we went to a trivia night, which we won, with the help of Andrew's Couchfing host. I hope you enjoy Andrew's experience as much as I enjoyed his company. I added Andrew's Couchfing profile to the description of this episode, so you can contact him if he passes by. Stay tuned for more episodes, and in the meantime, comment, share, and follow. See you soon.